right. Is that working? Oh, yes. There you go. All right. It is working. Yes, it is. 6.01 p.m. and 41 seconds past six here at Radio Free Brooklyn and Resonance FM 104.4 in UK land. Hello, Resonance FM. Uh, this will be Sunday in Resonance FM, but it will be six nevertheless. Uh, anyway, that means you are about to start listening to Sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. I am Jan Luca. I will be sitting with you till 7 p.m. Sitting with me. Oh, I'm so thrilled, actually. It's my 100th episode. Yay. And sitting with me this Wednesday is me, Michelle Shocked. Yay. 100th episode. <laughs> 100th episode. That means usually one gets like a, a, a card from the president for your 100th. But I think I'm happy not to receive one because that would only be bad news. But um, we are going to talk about uh, oh, lots of things, possibly. Oh, I do things rather free form and uh, not particularly smoothly, though I'm working at it. So <laughs> things could go and Michelle, by all means, if I start going off on tangents, you can throw something at me and bring me back to Earth. 100th episode! <laughs> <laughs> 100. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to start. We'll probably talk a little bit about activism, perhaps, and other things. And But I want to play a uh, a track that my guest, Michelle Schott, recorded. Oh, way back yonder, actually. Uh, graffiti. Do you want to set Graffiti Limbo up? Or you talk about it in the middle of the song, right? So we'll let the music do the talking. Yeah, Michelle's nodding her head. So here we go. Here is Michelle Schott. Graffiti limbo. Ah, I knew this would happen. This is how it works. Okay, check out this smooth mixing. <laughs> okay. One hundred episode. One hundred. Happy birthday. Woo. Okay, what was I doing? Yes, graffiti limbo. For myself, but the word around town 
Michael Stewart was a young black graffiti artist who was arrested while writing graffiti on a subway wall in New York City. While under arrest, in the presence of 11 white transit cops, Michael Stewart was strangled to death. When his case was heard by the grand jury, you know, not one cop was found guilty. The coroner lost the evidence and those cops they're on the streets again. Oh, you can have your little style, war boys. Yes, and you can keep your little dance. But those crazy riders, they don't stand a ghost of a chance. No, it's call of them cons That's what Mayor Koch said He said, call it a crime And now it's steer clear of the engineer On that midnight special line Graffiti limbo Where do you go? Graffiti limbo When there ain't no justice Graffiti Limbo off uh, by my uh, guest who's sitting with me today, Michelle Shocked. Yay. And um, that is off uh, Michelle's. Well, uh, Michelle, it's your first studio record, right? That's the best way to present it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And short, sharp, shocked. Short, sharp, shocked, which has a. Uh, ha- let me make sure the mic's up, which has you uh, being dragged off in handcuffs at the front cover. What was the. Um, what was the uh, occasion? The Democratic National Convention in 1984. Walter Mondale and his running mate Geraldine Ferraro, um, and we were organizing a protest that we called the War Chest Tour. And instead of going to the designated fenced-in protest zone we went all over the downtown financial district of San Francisco and um, went to the headquarters of different corporations that had contributed campaign funds to both Democratic and Republican candidates, which was to make the point that no matter who wins the election, these corporate pigs are still pulling the strings and uh we were ordered by the sfpd to sit down and so we sat on the sidewalk and then guess what they arrested us for oh obstruction of pedestrian (laughs) traffic (laughs) is that right the old okie doke blocking the sidewalk ah yes got it Yes, I have heard that accusation leveled at me before. <laughs> no, because you were, you were an act 
activator before you were a singer is that right this kind of you you becoming uh, an artist slash musician songwriter is that sort of this was that plan b if there ever there was a plan you were like a community organizer before is that right that was my plan from the outset um two things had influenced that uh career choice was that I wanted to get a degree in school that was so impractical that it would make me unemployable. <laughs> and so um, I got a degree in oral interpretation of literature. I'm a highly qualified poetry reader. Ooh. But my inspiration were books like uh, Pete Seeger's uh, Seeds of Man or... Uh, Wait, Woody Guthrie's Seeds of Man, I think. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, and also uh, Jack Kerouac's On the Road. So after graduation, I hit the road, Jack, and I was only writing songs as a chronicle or a diary of my experiences. I got radicalized in San Francisco um, and joined a group of squatters. It was... Uh, early in the movement. Well, in Europe, of course, there was the uh, campaign against cruise missile defense oh, you yeah. know, under Reagan's Star Wars. CND, right? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, the squatting movement uh, kind of came up because in Berlin, y you could get out of being conscripted for the military if you just lived in Berlin. So there was a whole uh -huh. like squatting economy in Berlin. Yeah. And then a lot of the punk bands... Uh, got in contact with squatters in Amsterdam, which is where I ended up. And that's what found me vagabonding around, writing songs about my experiences, um, traveling. Because in On the Road with Jack Kerouac, you know, it was it was high bohemian, you know, hipster culture, but there really wasn't much place in the narrative for a woman. So that was going to be my thing was I was going to write what happened to a woman, you know, living that lifestyle. And um, that's when I found out that I had um, a bootleg album on the independent Surprise! Yes. So I, I always say I was drafted, you know. Oh, you were drafted. Yeah, recorded at the wrong speed. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> first album recorded there. Drafted, I like that. Yes, the draft. Uh, so so when this was recorded, wait, were you living, when Short, Sharp, Shocked was recorded, were you living in New York then, activating in New York? Um, I had been in London living on a houseboat by uh, then, but you know my friend Sophia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, her uncle had a place, I think it's on East 11th, I was on East 10th in a squat, but we used to go over and the only thing in the house in the cupboard was like this cornmeal and we used to make these cornmeal pancakes and sing, you know, just sing to keep ourselves amused and entertained. But yeah, uh, Sophia was there with me around the time I got this letter from this guy in England saying, guess what? You have um, a record on the independent charts. Oh, yeah. oh you had no idea. No. Ah. Well, Sophia is on, on short, sharp, shocked. Uh, I can say that really well, right? <laughs> so no, Sophia's on short, sharp, shocked. She's in the Anchorage video, right at the uh, mm -hmm. first third, in Tompkins like, Square. Yeah. Say say who that is. Mm -hmm. um, 
Oh, right. So you've been activating in New York. You were an activist in New York too, right? Yeah, I came to New York in November of 1984 after Reagan got reelected. And yeah. I had this plan. I was just going to, you know, leave the country. I was just trying to figure out a way out. So I found this guy who had a company called Air Hitch. And the deal is I would go around college campuses here in New York and put up these flyers for his company, Air Hitch. And in exchange for that, he gave me a list of gate agents out at Kennedy. And I did not know which gate would accept me. But what I did know was that eventually I'd go from gate to gate on this list and I flew yeah, first class Air France to Paris. Ooh. And then I hitchhiked from there to uh, Amsterdam. Uh -huh. And that's when I got uh, connected with some of my squatter friends uh, from the from the scene there in Amsterdam. Oh, right. And I got a little homesick, so I eventually made my way back here. That's when I was squatting down in the East Village and got the letter from the guy saying, guess what? <laughs> you're, you're in the charts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a rattling. Do you hear a rattling in your, in your microphone? I should put on a record while we sort that out. Do you have a song you want you want to hear while I'm figuring out what the microphone is doing? Um, do you have like an infinite choice? Almost. Or yeah. is it on my is it on my discography? You mean? Uh, no. Either. Oh, well, if it's on, well, you're not on any of the uh, internet stuff, so it could be anybody. Okay. Last week I did um, a set for Joni Fest. So oh. play me Carrie. Ooh by Joni Mitchell. That'll help us with our conversation to come yes. and the controversy around Don Juan's reckless daughter. <laughs> Wait, so what am I uh, looking You're for? You're looking for Carrie on the Blue album, which I recently covered on the second uh, virtual Joni Fest stream, Ooh. which may or may not be on the website. I don't know. Oh, I'm going to ask But uh, Carrie is the song. You got it? Uh, I have it. Let me see that I have the uh, technical prowess to do this smooth. 100th episode! 100! I expect my... Where's my ear trumpet? You didn't bring me an ear trumpet? Where's my hearing aid, Michelle? What? What? You did what? <laughs> The wind is in from Africa Last night I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave here, Carrie But it's really not my home My fingernails are filthy I've got beach tar on my feet And I miss my clean white linen And my fancy French clothes Oh, Carrie, get out your cage Tourist town. Come on, Carrie, get out. 
I can, uh, I'm now ready for my monogram dentures, my ear trumpet, and my Zimmer frame. <laughs> oh, and my bib, I'll be drooling a lot. <laughs> 100, 100 years, yes! <laughs> hey, so when is the Joni, when is the Joni Fest uh, coming out? And who did you record with? You missed it. It oh, was it last week, and... Um, it was, um, we did a little trio action with a great guitarist named Dave Malikowski. Yes. And uh, do you know a violinist named Lorenza Ponce? Oh, yeah. Brilliant violinist. Right? Yes. So the three of John, us. Go on. Sorry, yeah, John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi, Cheryl yeah. um, Crow. Mm-hmm. Oh, go on. And uh Dave used to be a Shania Twain's music director. So, yeah, I yeah. was in great company. Ooh. And we did a sweet little version of uh, Carrie for last week's second live virtual live Joni Fest. And um, there was a little bit of a controversy, you know, because now um, there's more and more cancel culture focus being uh, put on. She punked everybody with the album cover for Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, that, that um, you know, that that kind of, uh, I don't know how else to describe him. He's like a, 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 <laughs> a jive cat. A jive cat on the cover was her. She was doing blackface on oh. her own dang cover. Oh. And would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> Oh, oh, no one no one noticed it was her. And I was oblivious to the controversy, but my friend Queen Esther was like, just Google Joni Mitchell blackface. It's all over. It's all over the place. And um there's if you're if you're doing that, if you're gonna go that deep into the rabbit hole, you must do yourself a favor and also Google an excellent article on the subject written by a writer named Eric Lott, L-O-T-T. Uh-huh. And I love the title of the article, and I love the article as well. It's called The Tar Baby and the Great White Wonder. Wait, I'm looking at John uh, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, and it's there's three people on the cover, right? There's Joni Mitchell with a top hat. Is this the right one? And she's there's someone to her left in a looks like a tuxedo, and there's someone to her right in the foreground um, that sort of looks like I don't know if you've seen Starsky and Hutch. I guess Huggy Bear, kind of like a black gentleman with a with one of those uh, hats, those cool goes cool hats that I always wanted to look good in. That's Joni Mitchell. Okay, so so I'm European, so I can't 
I don't understand the politics of race like America. You have to really be from America to understand America's relationship to race, I think. It looks like she's in costume. It doesn't look like she's making a statement at all. I mean, she could be wearing, it's like, I mean, if she was wearing medieval outfit, would, what is the difference? For I have- Joni Mitchell to black up uh, as a costume is a privilege that some people have. And what is the purpose? She actually created that character. There's a there's a oh. name for that character. She calls that character Art Nouveau. <laughs> See, I think that's it. <laughs> but I'm gonna let you do a even I'm gonna let no. you do an even more delicate dance around this whole topic. No, Watch no, this. I'm not gonna dance around it. Watch at this, all. John Luca. I'll jump on it for, for both feet. Go on. What what amuses me is that while most people notice that she's in blackface. Mm-hmm. There's less conversation about the fact that she's in drag. She's not blacking up as a black woman. Well, I see she's in drag. That's what I'm saying. That's what I see her in drag. Yes, blackface drag. And my friend Daniel uh, puts it very, very brilliantly. What is the difference between blackface and drag? Between dressing up in another ethnic um characterization or dressing up in another gender characterization what's the difference discuss Uh, well uh context if she was waving her hands in the air and doing something that would be ridiculing then I, i would have something to say about that not very pleasant but i can't see you know in new orleans uh um there's red face right the 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 black population of new orleans dress up as indians and they leap around and they call themselves Big Chief and they say their girlfriends are called squaws and they throw out plastic peace pipes. Now, those plastic peace pipes are chinupas. They're the most sacred object in, in the Native American community. Um, now, no one has an issue with that. I don't see how this is different from black people wearing red face in the Mardi Gras Indian tradition. Well, check Because they're not out. Indians. Blacking up never included... Um, it it had some very stereotypical tropes to it. Mm -hmm. So the fact is, if you look, she blacked her hands. Mm -hmm. That is not blacking up. Uh, Blackface minstrelsy was always with the white Mickey Mouse style gloves. Matter of fact, Mickey Mouse is a blackface character. This article that I'm pointing you you to um, called... Uh, Tar Baby and the Great White Wonder uh-huh. does I'm a brilliant job of flipping the script to say that she is pimping. She's big pimping. She's dressed like a pimp. And check this out. Mm-hmm. She was David Geffen's hoe mm-hmm. and wrote the song Free Man in Paris where she is pimping the pimp. The way Oh, baby. 
So this tradition of uh, blacking up goes back to your own roots in Italy. I'm going to say the 1400s, the, mm-hmm. the meme tradition that went through, what were they called, the Harle- Harlequins? Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh, yes, the carnival era um, Harlequins, yeah. Uh, that sort of looked like oh, some uh, cross between a clown and a court jester, perhaps. They, right? had, they had blacked up characters even back in the 1400s. Mm. And in England... You know, there's a very famous tradition called Morris dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dispensed with the blacking up that it original originated with, but it was originally called Moorish dancing. Oh, 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 really? Go because on. our mutual ah. our mutual love for um, Cuban traditions, as you yeah. know, for about 400 years, the southern part of Spain was dominated by the caliphate, and so there was some. Uh, miscegenation we should say uh-huh. between european and african culture that was happening there uh in the islamic christian you know cross-pollination of southern spain and uh a lot of that got exported to cuba uh on you know transported on slave ships and so forth um and then brought through the gulf to you know New Orleans and points beyond. So nothing is as abstract, as definitive and black and white as it would appear. But what I really appreciate about Eric Lott's articulation of this Mm. conversation is the subject of the tar baby. So check this out. This is an African um, griot tradition talking about, do you remember Uncle Remus? Oh, and Br'er Rabbit? Uh, probably not. I know who you're talking about, but I don't. I can't recall it right now. So there was a famous Disney movie called Song of the South. You mm. can hardly find it anymore because <laughs> yeah, it had plenty of like you know. Remember those those two blackbirds, Heckle and Jekyll? Yeah, there was blackface in this Disney movie, Song of the oh, South. Okay. So they like censored it, <laughs> take oh. it down, but. Uh, the premise of the Tar Baby is that uh, it was put in the middle of the road to catch Br'er Rabbit. Because Br'er Rabbit's very curious. He can hardly resist uh, just, you know, talking to anybody anytime. And there's this Tar Baby made exactly like you would think. It was just like a ball of tar with a hat and a coat on it. <laughs> and Br'er Rabbit goes up and says, Howdy, Tar Baby. And the Tar Baby says, Nothing. Yeah. And then Br'er Rabbit says, Tar Baby, I says, howdy. And Tar Baby just sits there grinning. And Br'er Rabbit gets upset and wounds up, a, you know, and punches him in the nose. Well, guess what happened? Now he's stuck to the Tar Baby. And that was the trap that Br'er Fox had set for Br'er Rabbit to catch him was, you know. And and this is very much in the tradition of, uh, I don't know particular, I'm going to speculate, Yoruba, but uh-huh. I, I, it could be. Anyways, these are the storytelling traditions that invoke animal deities, uh, spirit, you know, creatures. Mm. So um, the, the point I like to make about the tar baby is anybody who touches it 
is not going to come away with their hands clean. It's messy. It's sticky. And uh, shame on you if you think that you can go in as an intellectual interloper into this tradition and think, well, I'm just going to discuss this and, you know, put it on a shelf and, and that's it. So participation is the benchmark of true um, blackface minstrelsy. You've got to get your hands dirty, you know, you oh. break some eggs to make some omelets. I don't know how well I articulated that, but I've certainly made my own adventures into this uh, conversation about blackface. You know, you're very, very well-versed on it. I, my premise is that minstrelsy is alive and well, that mm. it's practiced in culture even today, oftentimes without the actual blacking up part, but um, that the problem with it is not whether it causes offense, but um, as we'll get to with the Texas Rangers conversation, uh, to do with uh, the structures of oppression and whether it undermines them or whether it props them up. Ah, nicely put. Yes. Thank okay. you. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm getting it. Yes. Okay. You know, yes. that the role of trickster, yes. I mentioned, you know, Tar yeah, yeah. Baby and Br'er Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are really deep, deep African archetypes of a, a spirit, a trickster yeah. deity that in Cuba we both know very well is mm -hmm. Elegua. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Elegua is like the child, the prankster, the trickster. And it's yeah. in most cultures you will find this this character, you know, even in Greek mythology. Yeah. Um, Elegua, just to put it in some context, he's also the, the keeper of the roads. In the Yoruba tradition, the spiritualist tradition, he, he keeps the roads, so he allows the spirits to come in into the ceremony, and he's the trickster too. He yeah, opens just, he opens the door yeah. and makes a way for, you know, the impossible. Yeah. And, um, in Greek tradition, it's Hermes. Oh, yes. I mm -hmm. didn't know so much about mm -hmm. that one. Ah, okay. Um, but... It's always that um, puckish, yeah? In, yeah, in Shakespeare, it's puck. Yeah. Um, it's always the one that walks between worlds, quite frankly. So it's suitable that we're talking about this masking tradition, again, back to blackface yeah. oh, yes, and yes, drag, yes, yes, yes. that um, it's people who walk between worlds that, on the one hand, are the most uh, revolutionary. They can open doors that you know, don't even exist, yeah. but they can also cause the most offense, like uh, farting in the face of, of oh, a yeah. god like Hermes did when he stole <laughs> Apollo's horses. <laughs> and actually, on the reservations, uh, it's the Hayoka yeah. is, is the trick. Coyote, right? Hayoka. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, who goes in when people are sun dancing, and which is a s four days of, of total sacredness where you, you dance around for four days with no food, no water. And uh, the Hayoka is the one that sort of goes in and he dresses all weird and he tries to throw them off. And, and you know, you dance around the tree in a uh, in clockwise and the Hayoka goes in and he tries to get them to go counterclockwise. <laughs> He's kind of messes with them. So, yeah, the trickster. Yeah, every culture has one, actually. So oh, I'll okay. take you to this Washington Post op-ed yes. um, by an author named Doug Swanson. Um, Doug wrote a book called Cult of Glory, and it's about the history of the Texas Rangers, which, you know, folks will maybe not know about the Texas Rangers other than the baseball team, but 
it's the um, well, they may know the Lone Ranger was a Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah, and that's right. uh, Chuck Norris, I think, played Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> yes, you know, but uh, to uh, African American and uh, Mexican American uh, communities in Texas, they were the vigilante lynch mobs, the uh, white Knights of the White Magnolia, the Ku Klux Klan. They were uh, the regulators. They were the enforcers of the power structure in what was a Wild West uh, territory in, in a Wild West. And that history has been abjectly whitewashed. And so there was a famous story um, when they were trying to, after Brown versus Board of Education, um, to desegregate public schooling in, in Texas. And, and this town was just not going to have it. So there was a riot, and they hung an effigy uh, to represent, you know, an African American student being lynched if they tried Ooh. to walk through this uh, famous photo of. And so the um, the Department of Public Safety sent a ranger to this location, and when he showed up, they were all like, "What? There's a riot happening, and he just sent one ranger." And the famous punchline was, "One riot." One ranger. <laughs> and there was a statue wow. at the airport in Texas that came down uh, shortly before Doug Swanson's book was published. This was a, a statue in kind of homage to this legend, this larger-than-life legend called One Riot, One Ranger. Oof. And um, the book came out, and it's really going a long ways towards you know, setting the record straight in a time when all these uh, statues are being uh, brought down because it turns out that a lot of these uh, Confederate statues were mounted at a time when Jim Crow segregation was being erected as monuments to a lost cause, that the war had been lost uh, by the South, but the battle for hearts and minds raged on. So um, this op-ed that came out last week in the Washington Post by Doug Swanson is called Whitewashing the History of the Texas Rangers. And it makes a very sublime argument that if you're going to tell the history, tell the whole history. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Don't edit out the parts where the chief of the Texas Rangers, his name was Homer Garrison, mm -hmm. during a weekday talent show for the Department of Public Safety, which is what the Texas Rangers are over, uh, appears in blackface with a sidekick doing a blackface routine in 1964. Yeah. Right. <laughs> People yes. will go, oh, well, things were different back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. 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 So uh, my friend Daniel uh, created this really well narrate, uh, well laid out um, video that you can find on YouTube. Uh, maybe, I don't know how they can find the link, uh, but I'm narrating the video. And Doug Swanson in his op-ed said that it was a museum quality uh, video 
that I was narrating, and he's saying, put this in the museum of the Texas Rangers, too, while you're at it. But that's a very fine article, I have to say. Washington Post, and it came out. So say the name again. Doug Swanson, right? S.W. A-N-S-O-N in the Washington Post came out. And there's a link in the op-ed to the video, I think, that uh, he's referring to that my friend Daniel narrated, um, created, and then I do the narration on on the video. Go on YouTube to his name, Daniel Kusner, K-U-S-N-E-R. And while you're looking, I'll just fill in the time by saying that there is another uh, African... uh, saying that until the tale of the hunt is told by the lions, the hunt will always glorify the lion hunter. Oh, yes. Ah, well, <laughs> I've said many, many times here at Sit. Oh, by the way, if you gave, you've just tuned in, you're about uh, uh, 45 minutes into sitting with Jan Luca, the hundredth show. <laughs> Hundred show, hundred days old, weeks old, whatever it is today. Yes, uh, sitting with me is Michelle Schott here at Radio Free Brooklyn and Resonance FM in UK land. Oh, just a super quick minute of your time. We are completely broke. We got no money whatsoever. If you have any jingly jangly. RadioFreeBrooklyn.com, we got donate buttons, we got a Drive to Five campaign, you can get t-shirts from Cosmo Vinyl, the uh, former Clash manager, ooh, no, uh, publicist, I beg your pardon, you can buy face masks, all sorts of stuff, everything goes for, for a good cause, if you want to buy anything off Amazon, under the smile thing, you can uh, hit us radio free brooklyn for a um for for your favorite charity and uh we will get a very small amount from amazon every time but yes our lights are flickering and uh and any little bit will be very 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 welcome we squeeze a dollar till the eagle screams to quote many a blues song (laughs) i say donate a hundred dollars in celebration of Episodes of Sitting with John Lucas. Yes! 100! Oh, this is brilliant. Oh, well, thank you, Michelle, for celebrating with me. This is really a treat. I'm very, very happy to have you. Have you sit with me? I am an honor. I am. <laughs> I am an honor to the uh, the cause here, which I'm going to play you a song from an album called Arkansas Traveler, and in 1992, I delivered the keynote address at South by Southwest, and the topic of my keynote was on the subject of blackface minstrelsy, and the point I was attempting to make is that it is alive and well in the music business, and this was not a very popular uh, topic of conversation then that people wanted to look at blackface minstrelsy as something in the past, in the dark and distant past, and that surely we were no longer guilty of such, uh, uh, you know, backwards. Uh. So I made my case and I got completely scourged for it. So oh. <laughs> it is, it is with great pleasure that I now accept the accolades from Doug Swanson that my narration of this uh, video featuring 
the blackface routine of Homer Garrison, the chief of the Texas Rangers, is museum quality. Ah, yes. This is a song on Arkansas Traveler called Jump Jim Crow that I recorded with Taj Mahal. guest Michelle Shock who's sitting with me here at sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn so so zip coon what is the do you know the um the history of that word was it was it commonly used in those terms non was it always an offensive yeah no no word? no I'll school you um, yeah. because I can hear you even struggling with the term blackface minstrel c yeah like why isn't it just blackface minstrelly Blackface minstrel C because they were minstrels. So minstrel C is the shorthand reference to it. 
And probably the most famous practitioner is a performer named Al Jolson. Oh, yeah. Who was featured in the first talking movie called The Jazz Singer. You ain't seen nothing yet. Is that, that, right. that was the first words ever yeah. uttered on that? Okay. But um, Zip Coon and Jim Crow were both archetypes of the blackface minstrel stage, and they represented a projection of, of white people's kind of, you know, fears and curiosity. And actually, it was Europeans who started the narrative by saying, I was traveling in the South, and I heard this old... Um, Negro spiritual coming out of the window of a church, and then they would proceed to perform their Irish jigs uh, in, uh, you know, in, like, let me see if I can show you. It says, it says rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock, uh, that, 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 that is not a Negro spiritual. That is an Irish immigrant who could not get work playing their Irish jigs because there was discrimination against Irish immigrants right. in this country. But if that Irish immigrant put blackface on and played their jigs as Negro spirituals, guess what it is? It's Irish washerwoman. Da 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 the history of racism and the diaspora, you know, fleeing reconstruction uh, in the South because of all the lynchings uh, coming up to the North. Blackface minstrelsy was more popular in the North than in the South because in the South, uh, you know, there was more of a common shared culture, you know, hillbillies. It was working class people on both sides of the railroad tracks, literally. But in the North, you had um, former slaves fleeing the the violence and the you know the lynch mobs and so forth, huh. uh, and the and then not to mention the Europeans getting in on the act as well. Yeah, no, interesting. No, I mean, uh, I'm I'm thrilled to be talking uh, about this with you because, um, I mean, my premise is that. Uh, my assumption is that not all blackface was necessarily racist, that that race relations are not just black and white. There's an awful lot of moving parts in this that uh, that uh, uh, that we tend to overlook. I've just noticed the time. Ah, uh, <laughs> if you've just, you know, um, as we were sort of uh, vaguely talking about activism and things like that, there's a picture of you with Pop Staples, right? What is, did you, did you know him? I did, and he was on uh, Arkansas Traveler as well. Uh -huh. And uh, the Staple Singers' activism was famous. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I brought him up. Yeah. Civil rights activists going uh, way back in the game, and um, so to include um, my premise with Arkansas Traveler uh, was not only that blackface minstrelsy is alive and well. But more importantly, that this uh, roots music, the history of it, has been whitewashed. That as um, people like Cecil Sharp came over and collected child ballads and yeah. looked to the Appalachian Mountain traditions for the source of their Elizabethan ballads, um, 
the you know the blues musicians that you were referring to earlier they got they got uh written out of the history of of this um roots tradition that it's as much black music as white music it's the music of the working poor yeah and it's the music of rural agrarian cultures and poverty frankly did not really discriminate no 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 <laughs> You could be poor white trash just yeah. as much as you could yeah, be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's why when I made Arkansas Traveler, I made sure to um, include, a, you know, master musicians like Gatemouth, Clarence mm. Gatemouth Brown, not just for his, you know, uh, hot guitar playing, but also because uh, his daddy taught him how to play Cajun fiddle. And I mentioned Jump Jim Crow I recorded with, Taj Mahal, and uh, we went up to Chicago and recorded a song called 33 RPM Soul with uh, Pop Staples. If you want to play it, you're welcome to. Oh, I don't have that in my in my folder, and I don't think you're on. It's, it's a clever song because yeah. it's got all the words that you're not allowed to say on the radio. Ah, yes. Wait, it's not on, you don't do anything on Spotify or YouTube, correct? So, correct. yes, ah, yeah, 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 I don't have it. I have an, I'll play something else. We can finish with something by Pop Staples. But um, That's ooh. great, yeah, play Pop Staples. Yeah, all right, so if you have just tuned in, oh, this is fascinating. Well, if you have just tuned in, you have missed sitting with Jan Luca here at uh, uh, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and Resonance FM in the UK. Uh, sitting with me has been uh, the wonderful Michelle Shocked. Yay, thank you, Michelle. This has been fantastic. 100 the 100. I am going to uh, go out and measure myself up now for some dentures and an ear trumpet. And if you want to send me anything, my Instagram is sitting with G T. And uh, do you want uh, any way? Do you want people in? Uh, I don't know. Uh, send him a hundred dollars. Send me a hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to uh, watch Oh Down in Mississippi or I'm going to do something from Pop Staples solo his first ever solo thing that he made as in his late 80s Down in Mississippi Pop Staples thank you thank you and thank you again for listening Standing at the old Yeah, yeah.